Hello, Helene and uh, Sasha. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am delighted to welcome you both to the Alternative Series, our new podcast where we hear from the experts such as yourselves, you know, on very hot topics within the global alternative fund sector. One topic that's um, on everyone's minds at the moment is ESG, which of course stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. We know that sustainable funds, which invest based on these ESG factors, reportedly pulled in 20.6 billion US dollars of new money in 2019. That's almost four times the 2018 amount, basically smashing through that previous record. So Helene and Sasha, you are both highly active in this space and have been driving the sustainable finance agenda for a number of years now. So what, what is driving this recent surge in investor interest, do you think? Perhaps I can start with Helene. Sure. Thank you, Jimmy. It's really an honor to be here with you and discussing a very pertinent topic together with Sasha. I think really COVID-19 has been, you know, surprisingly, uh, there's a silver lining to it that it really wakes people up uh, to the agenda of sustainability and with that sustainable finance. I was just looking through the S&P ESG index this morning. Uh, and it was like down, I mean, you would expect it to be down, but it was down by something like 5.8 versus the S&P 500, mm -hmm. which is down by 7.3. So what that points to is that ESG investments have enabled investors to better weather the storm. It's actually a risk mitigator, if you look at it that way. And there has been a record number of inflows on ESG funds, even in the first quarter of 2020 that really points to that. Perhaps Sasha would have uh, some more thoughts on this to share as well. Yes, and thank you very much for having us both on this uh, podcast. Uh, the, as Helen said, the, uh, the inflow in ESG funds uh, and investments over the last two years have been immense. And even during the COVID-19 crisis, we have seen a huge inflow, especially in the US, which is one of the biggest markets, and also the huge interest in emerging markets especially in Asia, uh, where the uh, ESG as a risk mitigator, but also as the opportunity identifier, uh, is contributing to find uh, investments, liquid investments and public investments that are uh, interested not only in the short term, but also in the long term. And I think uh, what you can clearly see from from uh, this big pandemic that has hit the world is that investors and um, the institutional investors and private investors going forward will be far more prone to uh, identify companies to invest in that have uh, systems in place to manage risk, but also companies that have leadership skills. And it happens to be so that uh, ESG companies are the ones that are rated highly from an ESG perspective are also the companies that actually correspond to this in a much better way than others. Thank you. Um, so, Helene, you, you co-founded GoImpact at the start of last year to drive forward the sustainable development agenda in Asia. So could you tell us a little bit about GoImpact and what makes it unique? Sure. Um, actually, GoImpact, as the name suggested, is very action-focused. Impact, let's go. So it's really <laughs> trying to bridge uh, the gap really between the talk and the action. You know, what I've realized throughout my banking career, there's been a lot of discussion, very valuable discussion, 
around sustainable finance, how capital markets can react to it. But when it comes to actionable uh, deployment of capital, uh, it's still lagging behind the talk a little bit. The talk is a bit louder than the action. So really with that in mind, we're trying to see if we can pull our network and resources and skill sets and everything together to try to enable people to invest in the future they like to live in. After all, sustainable finance is about investing in a future you like to see and you like to live in. So that's really what in a nutshell we're doing. What makes Go Impact approach specific is the combination of the skills that we have acquired in a separate parts of the world in, in the same area over the period of, I think, 20 plus years. I mean, understanding of the, the enormous growth potential in, the, in Asia, uh, especially related to transition sustainable future with the companies and sectors that need to scale up uh, and also the... Uh, sort of an in-depth knowledge that Go Impact has on the ground, which is extremely crucial if you are going to be able to deliver both uh, good and, and profitable investment solutions going forward, but also if you are going to be able to grow business in that area. So I think from that angle, this combination is, is rather unique. Most of the time you will see that uh, international players will manage uh, investments out of London or uh, Switzerland or US. And in this particular case, we are on the ground and this is something that we strongly believe contributes to a much better understanding of what what is really going on. As an investor, you really want to understand what is going on on the ground. I mean, during my years of investing, uh, I've spent a lot of time traveling and being on the ground, which is something that I think it's, it's really contributing to making the best out of it. Yeah, actually, if I may, um, sort of the combination of market-proven Nordic investment expertise uh, and with our Asian focus and knowledge of what the Asian capital owners probably want and need, it's what makes the platform unique and what makes uh, the funds unique. Thank you. Perhaps, Sasha, just just a follow up on that uh, previous question. Um, how does Asia currently compare to the rest of the world when it comes to sustainable finance and ESG, in your opinion? You know, I've been following this for a number of years, and as I said, I've been on the ground many in many places in Asia. I think I actually virtually visited all of the Asian countries. I mean, uh, two, three years ago, uh, what you could see clearly is the immense influx of capital and innovation and willingness to uh, scale up the solutions uh, on the product and service side for many Asian companies because they are, it's necessary for them, giving the exposure they have and giving this the shift that we need to take uh, into account. In the same time, I think the one of the challenges in Asia has been, and to some extent still is, a transparency issue because that's not uh, on the governance side very much the, still a challenge, really understanding the, the dynamics behind that. But I think that has also improved over the last couple of years because the, the Asian companies, the big ones, the scalable ones, are the, are the global companies and they operate on a global level, which means that they need to have... Uh, systems and governance in place that actually works not only in Asia. So I'm very positive and I, I see huge amount of opportunities in Asia. Uh, let's not forget the risk. I mean, risk is there, uh, but I think risk is going to be everywhere for the next 10, 15 years, uh, given that uh, we need to move from fossil sort of a heavy economy into a renewable uh, prone uh, economic development. So. Uh, you know, many improvements, risk is there, but I think that in Asia you will have, uh, there is a scale, there is a volume, and it's also, I think, politically, 
something that it's, it's, it's important to, to mention is that the willingness from Asian countries to really make the effort uh, to, to transform to a sustainable future, which is really, really positive. Thank you. So, so we can't have a conversation at this time without touching upon a really hot topic, COVID-19. So how, how has the pandemic impacted the development of uh, sustainable finance? And has it in any way accelerated investor interest, given that the whole the worldwide feelings of social responsibility as we strive to stop the spread? Uh, yeah, actually, Jimmy, the short answer is yes. Uh, as you know, the, the ESG uh, index from S&P just demonstrated that I you know, mentioned a little while ago. Uh, the slightly longer answer is uh, also yes, but an elaborated yes in the sense that this is not a financial crisis like what we experienced in 2008. Okay, there's no liquidity crunch. Uh, you know, it, it's not the same. It's really a, a kind of public health uh, event of public health disaster that has sparked off a confidence crisis. So when we have people are faced with that, I think it really uh, you know provides a strong tailwind for sustainable investments to restore the level of trust to mitigate the level of risk that people will see. So I think definitely um, you know the silver lining of COVID nineteen is that if inv sustainable investments was not on your agenda before, it probably will be now. And if it was on the back burner uh, in your portfolio before, it probably will move from gen center stage. I think it's uh, what you will see for the next three to four years. It's the the, uh, the shift from environmental, especially on the environmental side, you have seen a lot of focus on the climate issues for the for um, last couple of years. It's going to be shift towards social issues, especially in the, in the light of uh, uh, millions of people around the world being affected in terms of employment. So social mm -hmm. issues will become even more important within the within the E S and G. I mean S and G part, the socially how company manager the, the employer relationships, uh, supply chain management, but also how they manage governance issues uh, will be the big uh, topic for the next couple of years. Okay, and and, and Sasha, just just perhaps more generally, um, what are the latest trends in sustainable finance and so what's next for this sector? Uh, the, the latest trends, look, it, each sort of sector has its own trend. What you can clearly see now, if you take the financial industry per, per se, you can actually see that uh, there's been a huge development of the services and the product. So in the Nordic regions and in the European countries, you will see a lot of green, uh, green uh, bonds, green loans, green corporate loans. You will see a lot of balance sheet products for the banks that are being developed in this context. On the investment mm -hmm. side, you will see a huge influx of uh, assets and interest into, especially, I would say, uh, impact-related products. So most of the products on the ESG side over the years have been process-driven uh, in terms of we have right processes in place, we have uh, the right uh, approach to uh, certain sectors. Now it's going to be more outcome-driven. So what I mean by that is what do you get as the buyer from your side when you invest in these type of products? Uh, do you get improved uh, uh, in energy efficiency? Do you get uh, you know better working conditions? Do you get things that you can actually calculate? And these are the things that we in, in, in Go Impact have been sort of looking at and in order to develop the, the best methodology we can find to get the sort of a net positive uh, impact on the investments that we want to make going forward. 
Okay, um, Helene, um, just just to follow up on that. Um, so, so how can investors, in your opinion, capitalize on these trends? You know, and where do the investment opportunities actually lie? Right, as Sasha was just saying, if you look at measuring the net positive ESG impact i.e. not so much by exclusion or by mitigation, but what are actually the concrete positive impact that has been driven. You're probably looking at sectors like climate, you know, in the current uh, context, and also health, uh, you know, with the COVID situation, uh, investments into health, whether it be public health or uh, just health tech and healthcare in general, have really moved forward as well. So I would say that climate uh, and health sectors are really offering quite a bit in terms of the investment universe. And by climate, we mean not just the typical, you know, energy transition to solar or cleaner energy, but it would also mean, you know, um, you know, energy efficiency uh, and also a host of other initiatives around, um, you know, climate managing the climate risks. Okay, um, my next question, actually, it's around key challenges facing sustainable investing. Um, we know, for example, that the lack of standardization in ESG man- uh, measurements and reporting has been a big challenge to date. The, there's also this perception of having to choose between impact versus profit. Um, you know, though, though the thinking is shifting on this, as we all know, do, do obstacles remain in terms of bringing sustainability further into the mainstream, uh, in your opinion? Perhaps Celine and, and, and Sasha can comment on that as well. Uh, okay, let me take a first crack at it first, and I'm sure Sasha will have more words of wisdom um, to share. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, um, I think it's really a bit of a misnomer, as you say, I'm glad the perception is changing. Uh, that people believe that if you do ESG investments, you have to sacrifice or compromise financial return. Uh, Every investment is a trade-off. So in some cases, you have to sacrifice some return, uh, but not, not, not as a rule of thumb. So if you are investing in traditional capital market products, I don't think anyone would expect uh, an investment to be without any trade-off. So it's really a matter of risk and return. Uh, and how that plays to your own risk appetite and risk profile. Now, in terms of the gaps and the challenges, there are quite a few actually. And I think first of all, I would actually point to an investor education gap, the kind of learning gap. The more people understand about deploying capital towards sustainable ends, the the better it is that we can enable the ecosystem uh, to grow and accelerate much faster. So the second gap is, as you quite rightly pointed out, Jimmy, is the data gap. You know, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like reliable, uh, clean data that people can use, uh, that investor can feel comfortable uh, to to, to understand and to frame uh, their their investments. Uh, But I don't think that needs to be a showstopper, uh, seriously. Uh, If we draw on the Nordic experience, which Sasha can talk about uh, in depth, uh, I don't think that, you know, the lack of data uh, has really been stopping people from deploying capital. It's making it more difficult, for sure. We, you know, we like to see improvements on that, and I believe there are tools that everyone can collectively work on that. But you know, there are probably ways uh, to look at it uh, and to benchmark uh, the return of your investments. 
I think in a, in a situation in an industry in anywhere in the world, when you start realizing when you start realizing that the data that you are looking at actually matters, uh, then you realize that there is no conflict between you know looking at the way how companies are uh, managing environmental, social, and governance issues and how they are providing uh, shareholders with their returns. It's actually the one and the same thing. It's adding EUC is about adding the another lens of understanding of opportunities that you not usually in a mainstream look at. So I think the next couple of years, as Helen said, it's going to be the data, the, the availability will increase. And I think what is the, the, the big name of the game uh, for the next three to four years is the verification of the data. You see, currently, if you look at the data available on the market today, all investors are swimming in the same pool. So everybody's trying to get something uh, from the pool of data that is available. And most of the data we have access to today is not third party verified. What it means in practice is that the companies do report, self-report the CO2 emissions and the data related to their management practices, or maybe some of the data on the product and service side. But however, that has not been verified. We don't know if it's correct or not. In some instances, I can give you a couple of examples in the Nordic countries, which are very well developed in this area and the companies that are leading in the, in the world. We had a look at the self-reported data from uh, companies and then compare that with uh, data reported through the MSCI, which is one of the big ESG providers in the world. The differences in some instances were up to 60% per company. So you have to bear in mind that this is, this is very important because you make investment decisions based on this. So, but development is there. I mean, we will have more and more of, of, of availability to, to granularity of data, but in the same time, I think the verification part, it's, it's a big sort of a, uh, a big challenge to tackle for the, for the investors going forward because everybody would like to have the best availability of the data going forward on this. Okay, so, Sasha, perhaps on, on products, um, so what are the available products in the financial markets for sustainable investing? Now, I guess both in terms of um, public uh, markets and private markets, potentially. I mean, you have basically the, the full range uh, of, of financial investment products today, as I said earlier, both on the balance sheet, if you are just lending money to people, I mean, uh, credit side, mm -hmm. but also if you're investing. So you would have all kinds of uh, both equity, fixed income, you will have private equity funds, you will have uh, listed equity, you will have uh, ba balanced portfolios, you, you have the availability, I mean the financial engineering, uh, it's tapping into the ESG as one pool of either risk management or you know, improved performance depending on, on the strategy the, the portfolio managers have who are doing this. So, you know, five years ago, you would have mostly the products on the equity side, especially on the global, maybe European, some emerging market uh, products. But today you have a full scale of, of uh, you know, financial instruments that you can use in order to uh, indices and so on that you can provide to, to your clients. Yeah, so that's, that's becoming quite mainstream. Um, and I think that trend probably seems that it will continue. Um, Helene, on, you know, we know that GoInPAC is currently in the process of launching a new ESG focus fund and using Singapore's new VCC framework, which is the variable capital uh, company framework, um, you know, with IQEQ support naturally. Could you tell us a little bit more about this fund and how it differs from other ESG focus funds? Sure, we're actually very honored to be in the first group of VCC uh, uh, you know, uh, funds um, and the only 
uh, ESG fund uh, in the first group uh, as uh, the Monetary Authority of Singapore announced uh, in January of this year. So I think it, you know, it, the, the, the uniqueness of you know, uh, having this structure and having this uh, ESG focused fund is that it enables and it brings the Nordic uh, kind of portfolio management expertise uh, uh, to with the Asian lens kind of, you know, investing. And I think that really plays to a lot of the appetite of investors that we've been talking to. Uh, so we are all set to to launch this uh, quite shortly, uh, and I really believe that this is not just a fund for the sake of having another fund. It's really trying to bring along a, a unique uh, set of investment lenses. Uh, you know, try to leverage uh, the the, the market proven experience uh, that you know Sasha has, uh, you know, uh, throughout his uh, you know investment career, and to bring this to uh, filling a gap that there isn't really something with an Asian focused, uh, you know, uh, currently in the market. And we hope that with this combination, uh, we can, you know, um, take a crack at providing that. And we are probably in a very good position to provide that. That's that's fantastic. And, and Sasha, how does this differentiate, uh, in your opinion, from, from the other funds? I mean, this is the this strategy is uh, long only uh, focused emerging markets heavy uh, tilted uh, strategy that is focusing on scale and uh, the impact created uh, on the emerging markets uh, with with Asia, of course, at the forefront uh, to see how we can find and invest over the time uh, in the companies that are uh, leaders uh, or become to become leaders where the impact of what they do is basically net positive. What I mean is that with the methodology that I've developed over the years, where the companies are evaluated on their net positive impact, not only on positive or negative side, we're trying to find the, the, the balance here. Uh, and of course, being a long only uh, approach, it, it will create uh, sort of a continuity in the way how you uh, deal with the uh, companies that you know need time and also need time to develop and need and, and you're looking for uh, a scalable sort of a solutions that you believe can give you and provide you with good returns. Mm. Should, should every investment portfolio um, incorporate ESG criteria and diversify into impact investing? If you ask me, uh, yes. <laughs> I don't know if everybody shares that view, but uh, if you ask me, this is like a. Uh, putting the the extra lenses uh, for yourself to see uh, better uh, what the type of what what are you investing in? I used to take this analogy. I mean, usually you don't invest five hundred million into a house in Spain or somewhere else in the world if you have seen it over internet only. I mean, you would like to see it, feel it, touch it, you know, uh, have a view and so on. And this is what ESG brings you a completely another level of understanding the the, the parts of the company or uh, the organization or products and services and the better understanding. Nobody is actually saying no to more information, but the, the problem is how do you evaluate that and how do you make the right valuation on the right type of information? That's the that's the, one of the investment's uh, biggest challenges. Yeah. Sure. Um, and, and last but not least, um, what is on the horizon for Go Impact? And what is your vision for the coming decade? Sure, sure. I think uh, what's going to shape the next 10 years between 2020 and 2030 is really the decade of sustainability. 
you know, uh, we know that in back in 2015, uh, the UN have mapped out 17 sustainable development goals with a timeline to achieve those by 2030. We are now just 10 years away. Are we really on track in terms of controlling the temperature increase uh, as, you know, determined by the Paris Agreement and others? Um, not exactly. So I think it's really the decade where people focus on moving in this direction. And I think COVID-19 have really exposed so many cracks in our system that it really helps to push this agenda forefront. Uh, so very much so, I think Go Impact is, is, of course, you know, wanting to build out the ecosystem and be an actor, you know, on this stage. Yeah, I think Helen has uh, really sort of touched upon the, the one of the core elements, but I think I completely agree. It's a it's a decade of transformation. So everything which is related to COVID is one thing, but we we all of us understand that uh, you know demographics uh, look as they do, urbanization looks as it does. Uh, climate change is having more significant uh, tangible physical impact on our life. Uh, we need uh, to move capital. So I think the next uh, 10 years, probably in our industry, will be about really true transformation of assets into the sustainable uh, investments and also looking for the scalable solutions. Nobody uh, is any more interested in, in uh, investing just for the sake of it. I think people understand the link and, and the linkages between these two things. So. And it's also another thing, which I think it's fair to mention in this context, is that usually on a personal level, people will do many sacrifices to uh, tackle climate change as being one of the very important issues on a personal level for many people. But they don't usually understand the link between the, the financial, global financial industry and the investments. And if they do that, they also can understand that if you invest in a product like this in Asia, you're not only or in on emerging markets, you're not only tackling your personal sort of things, you can actually contribute to this on a global level and on a scale that you you are not able to do anywhere else because the financial industry is the truly sort of a global uh, player in this field. So uh, I think many people will realize that and I think you will see an enormous shift of capital into this space going forward. Thank you. That's great. So thank you very much, Helene uh, and Sasha for your time and for sharing your insights with us. It has been a pleasure to speak to both of you and very interesting indeed. Thank you also to everyone who's uh, taken the time to tune in and listen. If you have any questions on anything we've discussed during this session, please do not hesitate to get in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you very much.